Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another Inland Lighthouse podcast. And uh, your host today will be Bob Lee, and I'm with my chief engineering officer, Brother Danny Tirado over there. Hello, everyone. And we're, we got a very special guest today. We've got Brother Robert Trailer with us. Say hello, Brother Trailer. Praise the Lord, everybody. I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> he is special. We're, we're very excited. Uh, this should be, no doubt, our greatest uh, missionary podcast uh, that we've had so far. It happens to be our first, um, but uh, but the law of first reference, it's uh, it's going to go down as significant, I think. So, uh, but no, we're really excited about him. He just got in. Uh, he's going to be spending some time with us here in, in Rialto. He's definitely no stranger to Rialto. And we're going to just go ahead and jump right into some questions. And uh, well, well, Brother Trader, why don't you go ahead and just tell us about your little church history, uh, how you got into church, your little background. Well, I come from um, Arkansas, which you can tell. Uh, but uh, my family has a lot of Pentecostal roots. Uh, as a child, very young, my dad was a, um, a apostolic minister, pastor, matter of fact, in a small work down on Lake Village, Arkansas. But unfortunately, some things happened, and he backslid. So most of my life, I was uh, raised by a backslidden uh, pastor. Uh, so um, I really, you know, you know about church. You hear about church. You can come to some things, but as far as church, it never was uh, in my life, um, and so um, I worked in construction uh, with my dad since I was 14. I um, also worked as a uh, hunting guide. I owned a business that I grew into and did pretty good, but uh, my life was messed up like most people's are. You, you uh, Teenager years was crazy. It was the 80s, and, and everything was rock and roll and long-haired hippie fight, and and uh, back in the day that uh, uh, marijuana and speed and all that stuff was going around real good, alcohol was kicking in. And uh, so most of my life, though, as far as my history, was more more um, uh, into the alcohol and the drugs, uh, most of anything. Um, a good 18 years of my life anyway. And uh, But uh, long story short was as I, I the last, probably the last... Um, Five years of my life before I got the Holy Ghost, I was addicted to crystal meth, uh, really messed up. Uh, about two years of my life, I don't even remember. But I was always a worker, uh, worker in class. Uh, but, you know, life just took its turn. Um, when I uh, got messed up on the drugs, God, uh, it was really interesting. Uh, I still hold on to it. I, I get kind of shook up about it every now and then. But uh, give you a little detail on it, how I come out of the drug life. Uh, so maybe it'll uh, touch somebody out there that might, might just uh, have a little lost hope for a son or a daughter or a grandchild. You know, God, when he's ready, um, he hears prayers and he stores them prayers up in heaven. Some of them grandmother prayers and some of them uncles and aunts that's praying, you know, don't stop praying for them. Um, if anybody was praying for me, my grandmothers were. And uh, and I had two of them that uh, lived for God their whole life, um, and they they served the Lord. But they I know they were praying. But I was addicted to that meth, and um, it's the, actually the first step toward church, uh, where God really shook me. Uh, it took a shaking, and uh, I had been on about a six day high uh, partying. We were just crashed out. And um, I remember being in my bedroom about two o'clock in the morning, and, uh, and it was just pitch black. I, 
Uh, I never allowed a light to be in my room. I always liked it black and dark. Uh, it's just what the world does and drugs messes with your eyes and it just it just messes you up. And But I remember that I was laying in my bed and I was laying on my side and uh, had my back toward my wall and, uh, and I just got this feeling. And uh, I was like, somebody's in here. Somebody's in my room. And I remember feeling that presence when it entered into my room. And uh, I literally kept a 44 Magnum in a shoulder holster on my bedpost, but my back was turned to it. And I was just laying there and I was kind of looking out of the corner of my eyes left and trying to, trying to see something in that darkness. You know, it's pitch black, you know, what are you gonna see? It's black, man. And, and I'm, I'm, my mind's going crazy. And, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there and it's like this little pinstripe and that's how I like to describe it. It was like a pinstripe outline, very light, very, 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 uh, not very bright, just a very dim light. And, and it was in a line, but it was in the shape of a man. And, um, you know, I've heard Pastor Booker tell some stories about experiencing some things that was bigger than he is. If it gets bigger than him, it's big. <laughs> uh, but this one was not no smaller than Pastor Booker. might have been a little bigger. And all I could see, it just drawed an outline around this figure, and I was shaking in my bed. And, I mean, I was sweating. I was, I was, I said, oh, my goodness, I'm, somebody's in here, and they're fixing to kill me. And I wasn't living the life like I should have been living, messed up with those drugs and all kind of activities in my house. And I remember making a real quick turn and grabbing for that pistol. And when I did, I slapped my light switch when I was reaching. And when I spun around, there was nobody there. And I jumped up out of that bed, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. I jumped up in the, out of the bed, and I'm looking around every corner, and, and I, I undo the deadbolts on my bedroom door, and I run into the rest of my house. And I, I remember running into my small babies. I had three small children at that time, and all my oldest ones were small and little, thank God. Uh, but I, I, I ran in their bedrooms, and I was checking them, and I was running all over. And I remember running to the front door, and I had boat locks, and I didn't just have a boat lock. I had, like, plural, boat locks, chain locks. I mean, everything was locked up. Well, it's not registering, and, and I'm throwing these switches, and, I'm, and I run out the front door, and I run out in my driveway, and I'm looking. And I got a big night light, and I, I'm looking all around, and, and, and there's nothing. And I turn around, and I look, and my pit bull, which I kept chained up right up my window, and my front door, you couldn't get in my front or back door without getting by a pit bull. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget. It's kind of funny now. Uh, I, I remember looking at that dog, and he's laying there looking at me. And and I, I, I promise you, if he could have spoke, I think he would have said, this boy's cheese done slip off his cracker. He's finally <laughs> lost it. He's lost it. And, I'm, and so I'm back in the house, and I remember I, I go in, I'm, I'm, I'm just sweating. I mean, my mind is blowed, but uh, I begin to clean my face up in my sink. And, um, and I remember when I washed my face, I, I wasn't really paying attention, but I looked up in that, that mirror. And for the first time in a long, long time, I seen me for what everybody else seen. You see, when I was on the drugs, I felt 10 foot tall and bulletproof. I could have took on the world, 
Uh, but when I looked at myself in that mirror, I was about a 140-pound skeleton. And someone that hadn't eaten so long and been so wore out. I mean, if, if, if it was drugs, I'd eat it, I'd drink it, I'd snort it, I'd shoot it. It didn't make me no difference. And for the first time when I looked myself in the eye, uh, I come to a reality check. And at that point, one of the greatest things ever happened, I've never had it happen to me again. And, and uh, But I know there's people who don't believe God still speaks in audible voices, but that's all right. Just just say I was tripping. And, and But for this old boy, I heard the voice of God, and he spoke to me clear. He said, son, I'm calling you one time. You got one shot to get it right. I literally, it shook me so bad. I didn't have to have drug rehab. I flushed stuff down the sink. I throwed it out. I had a, a cousin of mine living with me. Thank God he's living for God now and straightening up. But he was, he was you know, when you're in drugs, you got everybody. And him and his wife was living it shacked up. I went in, I, I woke him. I said, get your stuff and get out. Get out. I just went to pushing stuff out, throwing stuff out. I was, everybody said, you're nuts, man. And I probably was at the time. It was crazy timing. And so uh, a year later, you know, uh, I, I totally got off the drugs, man. It was like, phew, I, was, I didn't want it no more. I didn't crave it no more. I, I, was, I was scared out of my wits. And uh, so a year later, um, I got uh, uh, asked to come to church, and, and uh, my grandmother asked me to come visit her on Grandmother's Day. And, you know, so it does good to invite people to, to fellowships. It don't always have to be a church yeah. service. Yeah. And you can be right out here playing, playing with the kids and the fellowship meetings, and people can get the Holy Ghost. I'm a yeah. living witness to that. The church ain't just for Sunday and Wednesday. God's not a part-time God, and thank God for that, or I wouldn't be here. Uh, but I went to that for my grandmother, and uh, in the midst of that uh, little grandmother fellowship day at the church, I remember— uh, uh, being so convicted in that 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 when I walked in that house, there's so much conviction in my heart. But uh, thank God somebody was sensitive to the Holy Ghost that they didn't come and shake me around. They just came over and laid their hand on me. And two and a half hours later, I woke up in the altar. I don't even know how I got there. But two and a half hours later, I woke up in that that altar and I was speaking in tongues and and uh, I was getting baptized. And not only that, my oldest daughter at the same time, God filled her with the Holy Ghost. And and uh, you know, I ain't never looked back since. You know, uh, so I, I'd like to just take the moment to tell some families out there, hey, um, don't give up on them too quick. Keep praying. Yeah. Just keep praying. Uh, there's power in prayer. Power prayer, and you know, and you you take eighteen years later, old druggie like me, you know. Now I'm over in Russia as a missionary. You know, God, God, God can do some great things. You know, um, I'd be interested. So, so uh, I definitely think that meets a definition of a wake up call. Yeah, oh tonight. yeah, yeah. Good um, good morning. But from that night, you said it was about a year, and then mm -hmm. your your grandmother invited mm -hmm. you to church. I'm mm -hmm. just, I'm just kind of curious. How did you pass the time? What was going on in that one year? Kind of. In that year, I literally, I owned 21 acres of land up in the mountains of the Ozarks. I owned a house about 2,000 square feet. Uh, I called a friend of mine. I owed about $60,000 on it in a mortgage. I called him up about a week and a half. I, I stayed so shook up for about a week and a half. And I just kept feeling in, when I was in that house, I was like, and I was there, I was like, you got to go, you got to go, 
you got to go. And I mean, I literally remember about the third day having one of uh, the little local drug dealers pull up my driveway, and uh, and I met him met him in the driveway with a twelve gauge shotgun. And uh, and you know, and and I had I had made up my mind, and he was there to sell me my stuff, and I went through about fifteen hundred dollars a week on crystal meth. And uh, everything I made went to the drugs and uh, partying. That's all it went to. I worked to have my drugs. And, and I met him at that driveway. I run him off. I told him, I said, don't, don't ever let me see you again. And, and uh, I said, I don't want that stuff. But for, for a week, it drove me nuts. I couldn't. It was just something. It, just, it was God, you know. But he was like, you're going to have to have a change. Change of scenery. Change. And, uh, and a lot of people... Uh, they they come to the Lord, but they don't want to make a change. They never get the understanding. You, you you can't go back into the same atmosphere if you've got the ability to change it. Some people are stuck, and kids and teenagers and husbands and wives sometimes in bad marriages, and some get the Holy Ghost, some don't live for God, and children. This, you don't have a lot of choice. But in my situation, I had a choice. I could change my environment. I could I could get out of that. And, and, but it got a hold of me so hard. I called my real estate friend up and I told him, I said, look, I'm, I'm moving in about five days. And he's like, moving, where are you going? I said, I don't know. And I wouldn't tell you if I did. <laughs> I'm leaving, man. I'm out of here. I said, he said, what about your house? I said, it's for sale. He said, really? He said, well, what are you going to sell it for? I said, payoff. He said, how much to pay off? I told him, I said, $60,000. He said, are you kidding me? I said, no. He said, you come in my office tomorrow. And so the next day I went to his office, he wrote me out a check for $60,000. I paid the loan off. He gave me an extra 5000 to help me move, and no questions asked. And I took off up in the mountains, found the littlest, smallest, remote place I could crawl into, took my children with me, moved up there, and I stayed hid up in those mountains for about a year, just picking up odd and end jobs. I lived in a, it was actually a, a park, and uh, they had a little cabin and, and I got a job overseeing the park, and they let me live there for rent-free. And so I lived up there for about a year, and then finally my family found out where I was at and because uh, I, didn't, I didn't call nobody. I was like, nope. I'm, I mean, I had family members still in drugs and everything else going on. I was like, no, I ain't telling nobody. And, uh, and how it actually, the, the correct way was, is that she actually sent the preacher after me. <laughs> and uh, that's what I used to call them before I got in church, the preacher. Them preachers, no good for nothing, always wanting something, preachers. But thank God for them because he came three hours out of his way, and he, he, he tried to convince me the boat he had was to go fishing. And he called, and he come up, and I remember he, in my driveway, and, and uh, I've always been a knucklehead, and I'm still a knucklehead, but uh, I remember looking out my window, and I seen this truck pull up, and I never met him before. And he had a boat, and I had a boat ramp at the park. And he, he gets out, and I see him looking around, and he starts my way out. And I, that is a preacher. If I ain't never seen a preacher <laughs> in my life, that's a preacher. And I fought God. I didn't, I wasn't, I just, you know, God said, clean yourself up. So I was cleaning myself up. But I was still, I wasn't ready. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to put this man to the test. Man, I took my shirt off. I had my cut off blue jeans on, had a long ponytail, big beard. I throwed a cigarette in my mouth, grabbed a beer and popped the top, walked right out the door. How you doing? And uh, he said, well, he said, I'm looking for Robert Trailer." I said, you found him? I said, and that's the driveway, and you can go right back where you came from. 
And he's like, well, hold on, hold on a minute. He said, I heard you, 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 you knew something about this lake up here. You're, you used to be a guide. I said, well, yeah, yeah, I did. He said, look, I'm just wondering. He said, I've never fished in this water. He said, I just wonder know if you'd take me fishing. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I ain't got to have the Holy Ghost figure out you. <laughs> I got you figured out. Now, so I made the test on him hard. I, I made him agree that I could carry my beer in the boat with him. Uh, carry my cigarettes in the boat, and I'd show him what a fish was. And he's, you know, most preachers would have said no. Most of them would have cut you off right there. But this preacher was looking at something a little different, and and he wasn't intimidated. Uh, was just a deadbeat, used up, ex druggy, and uh, he said, "All right, no problem. I ain't putting it in there for you. There's the boat." And so I took him fishing. I think we stayed out there about an hour. I don't even know if we even used a rod and reel while we was out there. And uh, But he ended up after an hour just talking, just looking, and dropped me back off. And I do remember, though, brother, when he pulled out of that driveway, I begged in my spirit for that man to turn around and come back. I begged. I was, just, I, was, I was hungry. I was like, no, more of this. And, but I wouldn't admit it. You know, a tough guy, you're always a tough guy. And so after that, about two months later, my grandmother calls me. And you'd have to know my grandmother, they're not pushy people, they're praying people. When it's time, you don't have to push. That's just the way they taught. When it's God's time, it'll come. Just keep praying. And so she suckered me, as I always said. You suckered <laughs> me, Grandma. You, you knew I wouldn't tell you no. So some of them grandmas need to just keep suckering their grandchildren and keep suckering their kids and <laughs> sucker them for Jesus, praise God. But after that, I got the Holy Ghost, and and, uh, and it was uh, it took several years to, to break some old habits. You know, I'd like to encourage somebody, don't give up. Keep working on them habits. Keep breaking them. You're not going to be perfect when you start. I'm not perfect now. And uh, But don't let condemnation set in on you. And I'd like to tell some pastors, don't be so hard on them. Look at them. Look at them a little different than what's on the outside. Look past the tattoos. Look past the gruffiness. You know, just, yeah. just look at them through the eyes of Jesus. There's some, there's some more missionaries out there. There's some more yeah. preachers out there. Revival waits. You know, I um, I was a big drinker. And I, yeah. I, you know, dabbled in drugs, uh, yeah. but mainly came from alcoholic type mm-hmm. background. Um, but what you mentioned about the uh, fishing trip with with the preacher, um, I, I'd asked uh, when I first got in church, got in the Holy Ghost. I asked uh, um, a guy who was giving me Bible studies, and he was a he was a pastor's son. And I said, "Well, is it all right just to have a beer if I'm out 100 degrees mowing the lawn? I'm not talking a bunch, getting drunk, going out driving. I just you know just, just a beer, just yeah. a beer or just two beer, here and there, yeah. you know, just stay yeah. home, whatever." And and I and as I look back on it, he kind of said, "Well, you know, you look at uh, alcohol in the Bible, like wine, the yeah. juice of pressed grapes, yeah. and yeah. It, you know, and then there's there's a fermentation." He kind yeah. of went off a little bit like that, and I'm sitting there listening to him. Uh-huh. And he, then he says, "Hey, isn't that the uh, the Merced uh, building something?" I'm like, "Because we're, we're up high at my yeah. built place of work." And I go, yeah, yeah, it is. And he kind of went on. He kind of, he never answered my question. Yeah, just kind of diverted, <laughs> went on around it. And I'm telling you, if he'd have, if he'd have probably told me, you, yeah, you can't drink you, anymore, but I'd have probably rebelled and walked and off. Out. Now, it, it, what was amazing, and and this is, you know, my wife will probably say she, she wished there was other things God would take the desire away and, and, and bad habits <laughs> from me. But alcohol for 30 years drinking or whatever. When I got yeah. the Holy Ghost, I took one sip after that yeah. at a wedding. I was in a friend of yeah. mine's wedding, and I took one sip. I barely could even drink it. Yeah. And I, 
barely touched my lip, and I set it down. It just hit and It was you. the last drink I yeah. ever took, and that yeah. was uh, 1995. Yeah. And uh, but. You know, I mean, it's weird. And yeah. like you say, you didn't want the drugs. It, it, but God does different. He does. One, different one of the biggest, brother, one of the biggest uh, problems I had, it was a year and a half after I had the Holy Ghost that I finally quit was smoking cigarettes. Hmm. And and I was trying. I was trying every method. I could put a patch on my neck, my back, and both legs and eat a pack of cigarettes and it wouldn't crave my smoking habit. And I mean, I was I was sincerely trying. There's a lot of people out there that are sincerely trying to get over their addictions, and and just because they got the Holy Ghost, I mean, I I like to be super spiritual every now and then, uh, but you know, in my case, the super spiritualists didn't get it. I sincerely wanted to quit them things. I knew it was wrong. God, nobody had to tell me. I knew, and I'd I'd be in the altar every service praying and weeping, and I'd be at home weeping. God, if you just, I don't know why I can't kick them. I throw them in the trash. I try to break off of them, and I just keep turning back. About a year and a half, it was a year and a half, my pastor never one time, he'd come up to my house. If I was smoking a cigarette, and I know he's seen me smoking a cigarette, I'd put it out. He never one time rebuked me. He Now, he didn't let me preach behind the pulpit and lead the choir either, okay? There's just some things you just you can't do. Uh, but he, I, I wasn't one of them that I was looking for anything like that. I was sincerely, and I think he knew. I was sincerely doing the best I could to find what God wanted me to find. And finally, one day, and and uh, and I'll, I'll encourage some people, when you get your mind made up, you get your mind made up, and, and you put your all effort to it, and you make a deal with God. And when you do, God don't break his deals. And I told God one night we had a powerful service. I was driving home, and, and them cigarettes were laying on the dash of my truck. And I grabbed them cigarettes, and I remember driving down that road. I said, God, I'm fed up with this. You know I've tried everything I can to quit them, and I can't, I can't defeat this devil. You're going to have to do it. But I'll make a vow to you. If you'll take that away from me, I'll never touch them again. I throw them things out the window. Thank God a cop didn't send me. I was a $1,000 litter fine. <laughs> but I throw them things out the window, and, man, for almost two weeks, I never craved it. I was feeling good. And you know that old line, devil, I want to tell somebody, that devil going to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he knows how to push your button. Mm-hmm. And and uh, when he does, it's not always perfect uh, how you respond. But I remember I was in a gas station filling my truck. I got a phone call, business call. And I and that, that dude on the other end of that line, he pushed every button I had. And I was mad the time I got off that phone. I remember walking in the store, pay for my gas, and there set my brand right on the deal. Buy one, get two free. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, really? Well, here's your sign. Give me them. I got a pack of cigarettes, hit the truck. I hit the highway on I-40. I was heading toward Little Rock. I throw that cigarette in my mouth, and I lit it up. About three puffs later, I was pulled off the side of that highway. I barely got out of the way of a semi-truck. I was on my knees, and I was throwing everything I could imagine up. And I barely, I turned around and headed back home about five miles from where I lived. And for two days, every time I'd raise my head up off that pillow, the room would spin, and I'd, I'd be sick. And, and I was laying on that pillow. God, I was talking to Jesus. Now, God, I'm sorry. I was repenting. I know why you're doing it. Ever since then, I never touched another one. 
I never looked at, never craved one. As a matter of fact, I can smell one day and it give me such a headache and it ain't funny. Mm. But I, I'll tell you, you get your mind made up. Mm. You get your mind made up. God, God does such great things. Mm. But like you said, addiction's addiction. There's no bigger, I don't care what you name it. Yeah. Addiction's an addiction. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, that reminds me, I remember about a week or two after be, getting, getting in church, I was at a pizza parlor and they walked by. <laughs> and like I said, I never drank it afterwards, but just the smell of the, uh, the oh, pizza yeah. going by, it almost made me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is, you think about it, you all your life, you're drinking it. Yeah. You drink, drink, drink all day long, not bother you. And then just yeah. the smell of it. Smell of it. Yes, sir. But, uh, it does. It does. Let me, let me ask you something. I will, I'm just kind of curious. I'm getting way off topic here. Oh, but that's all right. Go ahead. We just wing it. Go I'm ahead. just wondering. Um, I, have you ever have you ever experienced experienced anything like this? I remember um, uh, coming home and going. I went into a, a state of depression. Mm-hmm. It was so strong. I'm like going, man. Why did I start drinking again? Why did I go out with my brother and go drinking? And for three or four weeks, one time I went, and then finally after about four weeks, I finally like asked my wife, go, honey. Did I go out drinking with my brother um, when we were up there visiting a month ago? She's going, what? Yeah, did I go out and get drunk with him? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, what are you talking about? I, go, I didn't, did I? And it was so real yeah. that I i mean, I was in a depression. Like, and I kept yeah. saying, oh, God, I got to start all over again after two years of not drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so weird and real. And I think I talked to Bishop about it. He says he's experiencing yeah. like this. And then over time, it hasn't that hasn't happened for a long time, but it's gradually. But there were times I go for like a week or so, and then two years later, I think, man, I started drinking. Why did I do that? And if you get this like remorse yeah. and stuff. I don't yeah. know, I was wondering. I've experienced some things like that. I, I've experienced depression every time I look at our budget and foreign missions field. <laughs> Uh, it's a little lower than we need it, you know. Uh, I kind of go through that. No, I'm teasing. Uh, <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there, you know, a little publicity well, we'll there. We need, we'll get your email we need it, man. Come on, you know. Yeah, but no, uh, yeah, I have. I've experienced things like that before um, where where uh, I when when you're on drugs, one of the um, way you can really tell a person when he's what they call tweaking, um, especially meth or crack cocaine or even cocaine or heroin, um, they they get to biting on their fingers mm-hmm. and they get to pulling at their cuticles on their nails and, and, and it's when they're they're having a withdrawal symptom and they're needing it's basically wearing out and they're they're beginning to respond. Uh, I have had that even even oh man um, several times that uh, I have felt that feeling like a withdrawal symptom, hmm. uh, but it wasn't like I was craving anything, but I was doing the signs of chewing on my finger or biting the cuticles, and I catch myself I'm like, man, stop that. Stop that. What's wrong with you? What did I drink something, eat something, or what, you know? Uh, but I have, I've, I've experienced some different things, but yeah, loss of track of time, hmm. you know, it, it, it comes. You know, a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, when you repent and you're baptized in Jesus' name and you get all them sins washed away and you become that new creature, well, it ain't got nothing to do with that old body. And and yeah. unfortunately, what we abuse doesn't go away. I wished it did. Uh, but uh, we damage things but by the grace of God. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I've had some loss of tracks of things every now and then. And uh, mine's like, uh, did, we, did we go there or did we talk about that? <laughs> and my wife's like, 
she kind of looked up at me like my pit bull did. Like, <laughs> that cheese just went off again, right off the cracker. But okay. yeah, it does. It does at times. It, it messes with your mind sometimes. Well, that's, some, that's yeah. some good stuff. Some good topics there. I could go down, keep going. But we're gonna we're gonna move on. Um, well, I, I'm just kinda, well, I'm gonna ask another question. Go D- ahead. During this time, uh, so about that, you're getting back in church. Mm-hmm. How, what was your father do? Because he's been here preaching before. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just curious, what timeline? Timeline? When was well, he I, back? I'll tell you what. He actually, <laughs> uh, God is so funny. Um, and uh, but actually, in the midst of me having. Right before I had that meltdown, um, I was I was very aggressive. I was, uh, I was a very violent person uh, when I was in the world. Very aggressive. Uh, my dad wasn't in church, and my dad went through bankruptcy during this time. He was going through a big change in his life, and he wasn't in church and everything. But I do remember my dad would tell it as well. Um, I come across the road. He lived across the road, and he owned land across from me. And I remember walking across to his house, and I seen him sitting on the front steps of his porch with his hands, his knees, he's bent over, his hands was in his face, and he was just shaking. I mean, he was literally shaking. And I remember walking up to him, and uh, and I'm watching, I'm looking at him, and I'm like, I said, what? What's your problem? And he, and he's like, looking at me, kind of looks up like this. I'm fisting up. Doesn't slap you, silly boy, and and uh, and I'm like, I said, man, I said you need to quit feeling sorry for yourself. And I said, you know what you need to do? I said you just need to get up and go home. And he looked at me and he said, boy, he said, have you lost your mind? He said, this is my home, and I've lost it all. I don't have anywhere else to go. And I remember telling him, I said, no, 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 I ain't talking about this home. You need to go right back down there to where your mama lives and crawl right back in that church and and uh, go back home where you come from. And I turned around and walked off, left him sitting on that porch. And he he said he sat there, and which he could tell the story probably better, but just for quickness, he said it wasn't very long that uh, he just got up and got in his truck, drove Moro, Arkansas. And uh, met my mother there. She came back into uh, town, and he picked her up, and they drove into uh, Moro, Arkansas, and it happened to be on the day of a church service. They pulled in the driveway, and just so happened the church was rocking. <laughs> you know, it's very important of what's going on when somebody walks through the door. The yeah. atmosphere we set in our church, we can never afford to have an off night. He walks in that church, and they never stop. They walk straight down the middle of the aisle, walk straight into that altar, and both of them hit their knees at the same time, and the church got up, and they prayed through to the Holy Ghost. So actually, uh, I sent him to church in my lost state of mind, and so God can use a devil every now and then to provoke you to go the right direction. So he likes to say, well— uh, you know, God, God used the right provoking to get him home, and that was me. I knew how to push his button, I guess. And uh, but he actually got the Holy Ghost, uh, and it was a year before I did. They got back in church. Oh, that's uh, awesome. You know, it was amazing. That's an easy. You know, uh, ch- this 
just walking in a service like that. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. We have, you know, a set kind of a routine. Sometimes. But, yeah. but, but it, it, it changes yeah. on a dime. It can, just, I mean, it's got to be instant. Happened. People walk yeah. right up and, yeah. and they're praying in the song service. And guess what? That church, nobody's preaching tonight. We're praying or whatever. When that's God's what ready, let him do what he wants to do. That's, that's right. the whole point of a preacher is to get everybody into the hands of God. And if he decides to make it happen through the, the ministers of the church and the singing, the worship, the praising, hey. Praise the Lord. I'll take a seat. <laughs> Let him have the floor in Jesus' name. But yes, sir, we've got to have that apostolic atmosphere. Yeah. Well, hey, I got a question here then. Mm -hmm. uh, so so you're a missionary now in Russia. We're going to mm -hmm. talk more about that in a minute. But have you always been a missionary or did you go through the pastor evangelism stages? At Most of the time, I was just a troublemaker. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> I was. Uh, I hate the devil. He's a liar and a father of it, and I'm I'm his personal enemy. Uh, but uh, what happened was, my dad, uh, not long after we was back in the church, he began to feel the call again to pastor. So it wasn't very long, and we worked in construction together. Um, and uh, he took a small church up in northern Arkansas, and when he did, we I moved up with him, and, uh, and I took my uh, family and went up there, and my children. And uh, so we lived up there, and I actually started out just basically assisting him in the church there. And um, and over a couple, two or three years, and, and uh, just kind of worked the role of uh, assistant pastor. And then um, he took a second church and uh, kind of followed him there as well. And then I ended up uh, going, he was a foreign missions director of an organization, and uh, they invited him to come to Russia and uh, help a missionary that was there at the time. And, and uh, so he went over, him and my mother. And they actually, that's uh, my wife, uh, is uh, actually the one that was put in charge of them to interpret for them, to help them out. And so he likes to call it the Abraham syn syndrome. He had to go to a far off to find me a wife because I couldn't do it by myself. <laughs> he takes credit for everything. And uh, and so he actually, I, I met my uh, sister trailer through my family, through my mother and my dad. And uh, then after they came home, they spent three months there. And after they come home, I got invited to come over. Uh, through to uh, to help with the church there, and then uh, well, one thing led to another, and you know, common interest, love Jesus, and a uh, year and a half later, we're married, and uh, back to the states, and picked up uh, assistant pastor. Then we took a small church uh, on a temporary basis. There was a church there, and a pastor left it, and so we we agreed to pastor it for a year to to try to get somebody in there to take the church. And we were driving three and a half hours one way uh, for, to, to go up there for the services. And we was doing that twice a week um, and working the area, doing outreach um, up there and uh, right out of Hot Springs, a place called Mount Ida. And so we took the church for about a year. They finally got a, uh, another minister to come in full time to that would move there and take it. I didn't have the really the burden to pastor. I just always had a burden to help. You know, whatever whatever I could do, you know, I'll do it. It's not in a title, um, and so I never was much on titles. Thank God, <laughs> I, I ain't gonna preach it. Everybody knows what I'm thinking. We don't do titles, but anyways. Uh, so I was always considering myself uh, just a gift of help, you know, uh, and uh, so, but the first calling in my life, I evangelized some. You know, we preached at youth youth retreats and stuff, but uh, when God called me back in, uh, me and my wife uh, began to pull us back to Russia. 
that's when the calling of a missionary set in. And uh, and it's been that ever since. It's just once it came, it's there. You, you don't mistake your calling. When it's there, it's there. It's there. And I don't, uh, so it, it uh, yeah, I've, I've been used in a lot of areas, a lot of areas, but the main, what I would say, what I was called to be as a missionary. That's, well, that's what great. I am. Uh, you know, the, talking about helps. Uh, I mean, we've had leadership classes here, and um, and often they'll mention something about you know people think, oh, I got to be a, a preacher, get behind the pulpit, no, whatever. Sir. But you know what? Even even before you do that, you you just got to be a helper. You know, you just got to love God and love people, and have a heart to to reach, do anything you can do. You don't. You know, that gift of help is overlooked a lot of times. You know, we, we focus on the, the evangelist, the, the preacher, the teacher, the apostle. We, we, we focus on that. But that gift of help's in there. It's it's in there. And it's mentioned, the gift of help. And, you know, I don't know a church that was ever built just on one position without that gift of help having to be coupled to it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to build a good church without good help. And and, uh, and and if you see churches like this church and all across the United States, uh, some of these good churches, sure they got some of the best apostolic ministers there. Uh, you know, I believe we've got one of the top pastors probably in the world. But you know what? If it was by himself, it wouldn't be what it is. It, it's the gifts of help that are there, and that makes a pastor's job a lot easier. And when you fall in love with the field, whatever your position is, I don't care what your title is, if you lose a love for the field, you're in trouble. But if you'll keep that love and purge out all this other stuff out of your mind and and just dive deeper into that field, um, we'll find out that, uh, uh, as for myself, the field never needed me. I needed the field. I needed the field. And so the field saves me. And it saves me because I'm diving deep in it to save others. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of working out your own soul salvation, mm-hmm. you know, in the process of the work. It's not just talking. It's not just lip service. It's not just faith by itself. But that work, that love for the work, the love for that field is, is where it's at in any field, any local church, home missions, missions fields, broad. Hey, if you not in love with what you're doing for God, it's not going to prosper. It's not going to prosper. So I tell everybody, if you're a gift of help, love it. Don't make the pastor have to ask you to show up. Take it on yourself. Pick that piece of paper up. It's not a job. Clean up. Pick up that empty bottle. Throw it in the trash can when you're walking by. You know, don't have to be told to do that. God's keeping score. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, they miss out because, well, uh, it's not my calling or they didn't put me in that. They don't have to put you in that. You know, you're 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 important for the church. Get in there and. And, and push it. So, but yeah, missionary is it. I mean, I'm a gift of help though. If I'm not in the field, when I'm here, I'm just a saint of God. You know, I've got my burden. It's there. I'm working for it. But when I'm in a church, I'm there to do whatever, whatever I'm asked or needed. And if I see it, I'll do it. It's just the gift of help is the main heart. Good. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to ask a question here and I want to talk a little bit about political correctness. Now, this isn't politics. I know you don't want to talk about <laughs> politics. I, I do, I do want to ask you how, how the flight out on Air Force One was in terms uh, yeah, of Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> but, a, it's kind of overrated. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but political correct. Now here, here in the States, I, I'm sure you keep up, well, maybe you keep up the news. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, it's gotten to the point where, I mean, you just 
can't say anything. Someone, you're going to offend somebody. I, I even saw an article today. I didn't read it. I, I want to go read it. I just saw the headlines. Um, animal crackers. PETA got, you know, the little box. They mm-hmm. got the giraffe and the yeah, elephant sticking their head those up. things. Well, the, 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 the carriage or whatever, the train car they're yeah, in, yeah. it looked like a, I haven't read the article, but PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, somehow got them to change that box so they didn't look like they were like in, in a cell or something like that. Oh, like animal cruelty to a cookie, animal huh? To a cookie. <laughs> so, How do we eat the things? I mean, it looks like a giraffe and it crunches really nice. I guess I can't eat him now. He's a giraffe. And I, you know, with stuff like that, you talk about about you know whether yeah, it's religion it's and politics and just any you know anything. Well, anyway, political correctness in the U.S. is crazy. I'm just curious. What what is there? Did you know? You told us a little about Russia before we even start the podcast about the people and and person not personality but culture and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But is it is it as crazy as it is here? I know California is terrible anyway with land yeah. of fruits and nuts, but. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. We can, we can edit that later, Dan, if you Take need to. that out of there because I'm going to laugh at that one. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, uh, it, when, when we're looking at, uh, I agree 100%, it, it's getting crazy. Uh, I know of churches that are splitting because one of them wants to ride a donkey and the other one wants to ride an elephant. <laughs> and the other two are free will and don't want to ride either one. Um, it, it's getting to be so political. And um, it's strictly my point of view, and uh, it can be edited out if you want to edit it out. But I don't believe the church has any business messing with politics, uh, especially in the church, in the church. You know, I, I face a lot of stuff at home. I face the temptations. I face the stuff at the job. You know, you hear everybody saying everything. Here, they're, they're fighting hell and everything out there at the workplace, in their school. Their children face everything and, and all this stuff. And it's getting to the place that when you come into the house of God, it looks no different than the world. Mm-hmm. And so you come in for a refuge, but you're walking into the it looks like the same environment. The only thing's different is the song and, and and the praise and the jumping up and down and everybody. But as far as the atmosphere of what you see, it it it's beginning to be very political. Uh, you know, I've experienced coming back to the states. You know, I you know I come back. Wanting people to ask me about the kingdom of God, I come back wanting people to ask me about how's the church doing. But I, I have ninety five percent of the church people want to ask me about Donald Trump <laughs> or Putin, and if I vote, what do I think about? And so, yeah, it is. It's getting crazy, and it's not just getting crazy in the world, but uh, it's bleeding over into the mm-hmm. church. That the church is losing reality of what we're here for. We're not here for the things of this world. This world's not our home. We're strangers and pilgrims in the land. We're, we're here about spiritual principalities. We're here to tear down and stand against this evil stuff. But it does. Politics is a, a design to divide people. That's all it's for. It is a design to divide people. It will divide. Uh, that's what a Republican is and a Democrat. They're divided. And then you've got the liberal. He's divided from them. Then the conservative, they're divided. Everybody's divided. And we know the scriptures that anything divided, a kingdom or a house that's divided, it won't stand. That's why we're in so much trouble today. Uh, nobody nobody can, can find a place of common ground. The church should always have the common ground of who we are. We're here mm-hmm. to tear down spiritual strongholds. We're here to stand up and let a light shine to a lost and dying world. People's been ran over by the devil and all his, his, his uh, army. They need to have a place of refuge. And I know of churches that have split because half of them were Republican and half of them were Democrat. And, 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 and it's happening all over the United States. Um, and in Russia, 
Uh, political stuff, yep, there's pol- you know, politicians are politicians. I'll, I'll just clearly say that. Politicians are politicians, no matter what color they are, what race they are, what country they come from, they're all liars. Um, and all they're worried about is their little fat pockets and all their secret deals on the table. Um, and and, and I, I know that's point blank, but that's, that's just it. And uh, But as far as anything else, they're not really worried about it. It's a delusion. It's a delusion. But we as the church, we need to rise back up to the occasion. We need to purge out the leaven. We need to get, get worldliness back out of our church. And if I was going to start somewhere, I know we've got a lot of problems with, with TV issues, Internet issues, all this device stuff that everybody's so worried about. But if I was going to focus on something, I would focus on politics. Keep it out of the church. Everybody's got a right to believe what they want to believe in their home. Keep it in your home. Be what you feel. If you want to vote, vote your conscience. But don't come to church waving the flags because you don't understand. Everybody didn't vote the way you did. And, and, and out there in this world, there's a lot of people being, being shunned because some of them's hollering, go Trump, go Trump. I voted Trump. But these people sitting over here don't like Trump. And, and, and they walk right out the door of the church and don't come back because of politics. Politics. We've got to learn to draw a line. I love, I love Bishop's book on what a difference a line to make. I love that book, man. I, I read that book over and over and over and over and over. And the, every time I read it, the conclusion I get to is, is all the powerful understanding about the difference a line will make. But here's the one thing you got to do. You got to draw a line. Yeah. It'll make a difference, but you got to draw it. And we need to put some more fences up. And uh, fences are made to keep things out and they're made to keep things in. They're good. And, it, and it's not always heaven, hell issues and science and all the stuff. It's just a barrier there that says, hey, look, we, we, we're, we need to get back to what it's about because the world's going to be the world. They've got their leaders. They've got their father, and he's the devil. And they're all going to chase after him and do his bidding. And, and God's the kingdom of the church. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His people is of a heavenly kingdom. And, and we need to get back on fire with that and, and begin to work with each other and, and try, to, try to get that atmosphere back where, because politics divides, it separates, it totally does. And that's the reason, uh, to answer your question, Russia versus American politics. You know, um, they don't promote a lot of politics on their public over there. I mean, they do. They've got... Um, internet just like you've got. they got news channels just like you've got. Um, and, and, uh, but they don't, they don't let their, their people just sit around stew on it a lot. They report what they report and they move on. And, and it's just like our, our news media is here. You, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. You really do. You, you have to take it with a grain of salt and move on and, and uh, say, hey, you know what? Uh, that's all well and good, and, but God's going to take care of us through it all. No matter what they decide to do in this world, our God's going to take care of us. He's going to be there for the church. He ain't never going to leave us. He ain't never going to forsake us. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? If you're a Republican, God bless you. If you're a Democrat, God bless you. If you're a free will Baptist, God bless you. Uh, I, it doesn't doesn't make me any difference. And, and I've learned that even in Russia, people ask, you know, well, how do 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 Americans really? You know, their, their, their news is saying all this stuff. Do Americans really believe we're that way? And I'm like, you know, I wish I could answer that question. Some do, some don't. But I'll tell them the same thing. Don't believe everything news tells you. Mm-hmm. 
don't believe it. And, and so humans are humans. People are people. Just don't look at each other through politics because mm-hmm. you're going to get divided. You're going to get separated. I need my brothers. I need my sisters. I need, I need the black. I need the white. I need the Hispanics. I need the Russians. I need the Chinese. I need all of them. Mm-hmm. That's my field. That's a soul. Yeah. That's a soul. And so, yeah, it does, it does need some political correctness there, but we'll never get it done. Mm-hmm. We'll never get it done. Uh, they're not going to let that happen. They're going to keep twisting it until they get what they want. Uh, and so, but yeah, I would encourage everybody, don't believe everything you read. Really, don't, don't believe everything you hear. Um, there's always two sides to a story. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you from somebody that's there, and, uh, and I'll honestly say it publicly, I love our nation in Russia. I love it. And I think that the leadership there is God sent. And I think he's got a time and a purpose, just like I believe he does for uh, America and other countries across the world. He's got it all in his hands. Yeah. It's his government. It's his government. He's, he's handling it. And But for me, yeah, that's about as dirty as I want to dive into it. And, <laughs> and uh, I try well, to stay away from well, it. I, <laughs> I definitely agree. There's no room for – there's no need for politics in a church. Like Not in a church. Divide. I, I can remember as a kid growing up um, – my dad and my grandma getting in debates, Republican, Democrat yeah. things, and yeah. just in the hours of the hours of night. I don't know. They loved each other and stuff like that. It was, I think it was different back then, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, a lot of stuff's it's kind different. It's real vicious. It seems it's like. getting, and I think a lot of it has to do with maybe media. Well, it does. It does. Uh, I think we're in the end time. I think, and like the Bible said, Jesus said, it's going to get worse and worse. He didn't say it's going to get better, church. He said, it's going to get so bad that when it happens, don't even come down off the house. You better stay put, and and also to the point that they're going to flee to the mountains. It's, you know, I'm I, I'm no end time prophet, but I can understand when Jesus said it's going to get bad and it's going to get worse. There's not too many. This old uneducated redneck understands when it gets worse, don't mean it gets better. Even I can understand that, and so I do believe that men are becoming lovers of themselves, and for the church, he said many's love is going to wax cold because of cares of life. And that's what we're seeing unfold yeah. right in our eyes. They're, they're caring more about the, their, their savings plans and tomorrow and their, their vacations and their, what are we going to do to eat? What are we going to do? What, what if that? The Bible says that those people are going to grow cold and they're going to they're get separated because they're not looking up to heaven where their redemption is supposed to be coming from. We're getting a Solomon mentality. We're looking at everything beneath the heavens. And we love Solomon's revelation and all that wisdom he's got, but he was backslidden. With all that wisdom, he was worshiping idols. He was he was marrying every woman he come across, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and we hold to that. But David, David made a lot of mistakes. David made a lot of mistakes, but he won a lot of victories, and he had to fight for it. And he had to, you know, he didn't have peace on his all sides. Solomon, he had peace everywhere, but he was he was he compromised. He 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 compromised. He backslid to get it. And David, he fought, and even though he lied at times, and he murdered, and he committed adultery, and I mean, <laughs> you name it, uh, but he was a man after God's own heart. And, and because he had his eyes lifted up. Gotta keep looking up. He was looking up from where his help was coming. And all of his problems, he was looking up. So we've got to keep looking up. And, and you know, and those fences we talk about, you know, I, rose, I raised cattle, and you know what, sometimes a fence going to get broke. I've set up barriers in my life, and I've broke them at times just to find out that I need to put that back up. I need to get that fence 
mended back together. I need to sometimes fences breaks and sometimes we 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 slack off and sometimes we we let go and, and we get weak or we get tired of fighting the fight and we get tired of, you know, and a and a fence a break or a line a break in that fence and and sometimes you lose a cattle. You 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 have to go chase it down and round it back up and you you spend a lot of time and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you lose. But we got to keep the fence fixed. If you really value your stock, you're going to fix that fence. You're going to fix it. And I think we need to fix the political part in our church. I really do. I think we'll see a lot better revival when we start getting a hold of it. I had a friend come over um, a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me, we were talking about, you know, politics and stuff. And and he goes, you know, he goes, I really don't even, honestly, he goes, I don't even care. It's just, you know, he said, it's just the way for the devil to, to put into not not only just people out there, but us as a, as a church, to not, you know, talk to that person, you know, and and he like you said, it's it's a soul, yeah, that we could win or we could, yeah. you know, just talk to them, but we won't because of the their political leaning, yeah, you know, and it's yeah, and he uh, it just kind of got to me when he was telling me that I was like, uh, you you're right, you know, I, it, it's so yeah, just just thinking of that, it's like man. So yeah, it definitely needs yeah. to not be a part. Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I was told I wasn't I wasn't a Christian because I didn't vote. <laughs> I'm like, really? I said, yeah, you can't be a Christian and not vote. I don't I don't vote. I don't get in politics, and and I believe God's got it in His hands. I'm here about the heavenly kingdom. I'm here to reap up everything those politicians are going to mess up. <laughs> and so, I, and I'm like, really? Yeah, you can't you can't. I said, so I can't even be an American and, and exercise my rights. Ain't it a right to vote or not to vote? Ain't there two sides to that? But because my political view, and I'm not doing what you want me to do, then now you're ready to judge me. You're ready to disfellowship me. You're ready to turn your back on me because of that. And, you know, we're losing perspective. We're getting distracted, brother. We're getting very distracted. And if we're not getting distracted, we're seeing the distracting, and we're just not wanting to fix it. Men of God have to be men of God. God didn't call, call them boys of God. He called them men of God. And he said, I give you pastors, not to overlook and just let it. I give you pastors to show you and give you the knowledge and, the, and to tell you what you need to fix. Not pray about it, to tell you, yeah. you know. And, and I think we've got to draw them lines and get, get back. And that's Brother Trailer. You can edit that out, but, uh, you know. Uh, that's just who I am, and and I believe this. If you do it with love and you draw that line with love, if somebody walks out, you never had them in the first place. You never had them in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's God that keeps. Right. And if you do it with love and you're sincerely with love for the kingdom of God, if it leaves, it was never meant to stay. It was a distraction, and I'm sorry, but some people are just put there to be distractions. Mm-hmm. That's just Brother Trailer's point of view. You know, I think a Doesn't lot. I mean, it's right. <laughs> I think a lot of this is kind of, you know, maturity. We need to have wisdom and maturity. Yes, sir. There's something just, you know, but, you know, I mean, I mean, there are certain doctrinal things that we hold stand mm-hmm. fast to mm-hmm. and, and stuff, but there's some things that, well, the Bible's not really clear on it. And I, I like the way our bishop and our pastor talk. They'll time. say, hey, this is just kind of my opinion. It yeah. doesn't really, I don't know. And there's people Pray who have other thoughts Look, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And hey, but you can yeah. have your own. 
and you just got to kind of. We shouldn't come up with things and fight and argue and fuss over these things. That's it's not the way we do it. We we can't do that. We can't let these things. Look, we can't let these things divide us as brethren when it comes down to the church. There's only one God. There's only one faith. There is only one baptism, and the last time I checked, there's only one Holy Ghost, <laughs> and and there was only one that sat on the throne. And and uh, he called us his children. And in Revelation, there are several churches he's addressing. Okay? He wasn't throwing any of them out. Some of them didn't have everything they were supposed to, and they leave some stuff undone. He said, if you don't get that fixed, I'm going to snatch your candlestick. I'm going to blot your name out. He wasn't throwing them out. It was mercy in Revelation that he was saying, hey, I'm telling you, you need to get that fixed. And if you don't, you know, but we all want to be the one church that's perfect and he didn't find no problems with. But you got to understand, there ain't but one church. There's only one church. That perfect church is the same church as those unperfect churches. And he was telling all of them, get it straight. Get it straight. Get it straight. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what name's on your door. If you preach the same message and you hold to the same doctrine of truth, we should be able to love each other in, in a fellowship. And, uh, and that's one thing I do love about our pastor and, and what they stand for. Uh, they they love they love the kingdom of God. And and uh, look, we're not ever going to see eye to eye on things. Uh, but when we start thinking my way is perfect and your way is not, that's not the spirit of God. We got to I learn agree. to check that. We got to learn to bury that in the altar, brothers. Uh, I should be able to see you in a store, whether me and you click on the right line, and be able to embrace each other with a handshake and a hug around the neck, and not just turn your nose up and walk off. That's yeah. not God. I'm sorry. What if God did that to us? You know. And yeah. so it is. It is. We we've got a. We've got to stay on top of it and keep praying and keep loving and keep working for the kingdom and submerge deeper into the field. Get deeper in it. It's not time to quit. It's not time to quit. That's right. That's right. Hey, so why don't you tell us a little bit? You're in uh, St. Petersburg area, mm-hmm. is that correct? Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Russia, maybe some challenges, uh, some things you love about it, and just some things. What's going on in your church there and your work there in Russia? Well, number one thing I love about it is that's where I met my wife. She's <laughs> beautiful. Godly. She, I, I got to say this. Uh, my, uh, she, she is a great lady, great kids. My wife got really close to your wife. Well, you, your kids yeah. went to school here a little bit. Or just, just a little hung bit, out. yeah. yeah. Um, and my wife was a teacher here, and they became good friends, and, and uh, yeah. she is a great lady. They're so. growing up so fast, oh, all them I, kids. It's hard to recognize. And, uh, but, yeah, uh, I'm just uh, taking the chance to pin some roses on it because uh, I want her to know I'm saying really good things because she is the better half. <laughs> um, and uh, But, uh, yeah, uh, it's a beautiful, historical. Our pastor's talked a lot about it as well. He's, got, he's, he's phenomenal in his understanding on it, his knowledge. But it is a very classical, a very – when, you, when you, you dive into Russia, you dive in so much history. Mm-hmm. And, and the people and the culture is very, very hospitable. Uh, like I said, once you get past that, that culture of understanding the mask of the face, you know, I live in a country that lives behind fences, you know, um, and it's for a reason. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and then that face, that fence on the face, you know, when you got that solemn look in your face, you know, and everybody don't smile. You know, we think if they ain't smiling, they're mad at you. In Russia, if they're they're smiling at you and they just met you, you better look behind you. Somebody probably just took the tires off your car. You know, <laughs> uh, you just got took. You know, they're smiling about it. They got a, a very keen sense of humor. What they think's funny, <laughs> I don't think's funny. And then what I think's funny, they don't think's funny. And so it's the culture and you and, and it's a beautiful culture. But when you do connect and when you do make that relationship, sometimes it takes months and sometimes it takes years just to get a conversation. Uh, but when they when they trust you, they don't just trust anybody. And uh, so I would say one of my greatest challenges over there is being patient because I'm a people person. And after about five minutes meeting you, if you don't like me, I'm through. I need to leave. You know, I want you to like me. Don't be mad at me. And and so working on my patience, uh, working with people that don't just uh, laugh and, you know, they don't they don't tell you they like you if they don't. They don't laugh if it ain't something they think's funny. They don't sit there and shake your hand and shake it for 20 minutes and pat you on the back and, hey, and a lot of, what you been doing, man? Hey, they don't do that stuff. It's down to business. Shake your hand. How you doing? Let's move on. Let's change the tire on the car and um, that's just the way they are and and uh and so when you come from a place um i guess uh getting behind the wall you know getting you know because you're no matter i'm a resident there i'll be a citizen apply for my uh, qualify for my citizenship uh this year and so i will be applying to become a citizen of russia and uh but but after a while they begin to see you're real they just keep watching you. They keep watching you. Keep watching. They keep watching. And little here, little there. Little here, little there. And so, uh, patience. Learning to be patient uh, and not trying to force it all on the first time you meet somebody. You know. So, you know, I would tell people here: don't, don't, don't try to cram the total gospel message in five minutes at a gas station on somebody. Develop a relationship. Exactly. If you can get a handshake and a concern, how you doing, man? If you can, if you can get a just a little bit of connection there where you might get a phone number or get them to take a church card. Don't, 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 don't try to push it too hard. Sometimes we're trying too hard because uh, relationship in Russia is everything. Without that relationship, without earning that trust, you're not getting in there. And so uh, that's been a that's been a challenge, but it's been it's been not been too bad because my wife, you know, she she she's been teaching me well, mm-hmm. and uh, so having inside help there makes a difference, and uh, and and then plus having children, uh, I'm gonna tell you, people notice your children, mm-hmm. and they notice their manners, they notice how how they are, and they they see it there, and they I've never had anybody make a bad comment toward one of our children. In fact, every one of them are like, how in the world do you you get your children? To, to be like that and how you do this. And it's a very big testimony of how we raise our babies and, and the love of God that they have. And so um, so as far as the challenge, uh, the biggest challenge I guess I got would be be learning my patience uh, other than trying to pick out if I want to eat chicken or pork for dinner. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful country, wonderful people. Uh, we're excited about it. We're having our second annual conference there in May. Uh, Bishop's going to be preaching it. Brother uh, Tony Spell is going to be preaching it. Uh, Brother Jesse Starr is coming. Brother Mark Schrackeyes is coming. Brother Brian Shell, missionaries to Germany and Honduras, they're both going to be there. We had a good time this year. Um, and so we're trying to set the stage to get people behind um, to get out and say, hey, I'm, I want to come over and see this for myself. And so we had 30-something people there this year, and every one of them's like, whoa, man, we wouldn't believe it. It it ain't nothing like I thought. We had Brother Kimbo from Washington. He preached for us there. But every one of them, 
I said, brother trailer, it's nothing like we thought. It's just totally not what we imagined. And, uh, and so when you've got 17 million people walking down the streets of St. Petersburg, all I see souls. I see the need for an apostolic church building. I see the need for a place to bring in for the storehouse. And that's what we're pushing for. But we're trying to bring brothers and ministry people to come in and come behind that wall. Because I can tell you about it. I can try to explain it to you. I, it just it just won't unfold that way. Um, I can give you glimpses, but but until you get down there, we've got young people that's been coming over for the last three or four years, helping us out, helping my wife do some homeschooling, and those those young people are coming over. One young lady's been over for three months, and in the last couple of years she spends three months, and then another young lady comes with her and spends a month, and the groups of people. Every time they come, they meet somebody that uh, we develop a relationship with and we are working with and giving Bible studies with every trip they come. And it's not it's not out there trying to jump off the wall. It's just people are seeing them and drawn to them, just walking up, hey, they want to talk. You know, that's the biggest draw we've got there is those young people, they hear you speak in English and they see people, they, they're, they're eating that up. They're not into the politics. They're, they they want to know who you are, and we have a prime opportunity of introducing them to the church and not the world. The world is doing its thing. It's giving them Hollywood. It's giving them Internet. It's giving them satellite TV, cell phones, smartphones, dumb phones. It's giving them headphones, headaches, and everything else, uh, and it's just dumping it on them. But the thing about it is when the church walks by, they notice. And, and, and so... We're, we're ready, and, but the only way I can explain it is is that uh, uh, the culture of that people is a, is a beautiful culture, and, and, but it takes, it takes you getting behind hmm. all this other propaganda, all this stuff to get behind and see the real people, you know, and, and then you'll find out that, hey, whoa, man, there's, you know, there's 144 million people in the world's largest land mass, and, and we ain't even got the first building bought yet. Hmm. Wow. You know, we need church. And, but yeah. I'm just saying a church because right now I, I can't afford to put them everywhere. I got to start right there. We need laborers in the field. We need participants, gifts of help, you know, and, and participation. We need participation. Uh, and, and that's our whole theme about our conferences, connect, connect, connect. We got to have a connection there. And so, but it is, it's beautiful. And anything far as hard you know, life's hard anywhere, brother. It's hard for me to get out of bed every morning over here. Just to, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get in a car and drive an air conditioner to McDonald's. I mean, we we face trials everywhere we're at, and uh, but to try to paint a bigger picture, a scenario, um, there, there's there's nothing impossible. There's they're, humans. It's human beings. It's just souls. God loves them all, and um, but it is a misinterpreted country in the most mm -hmm. part. It really is. It's got its history. It's got its good points, but don't they all? Yeah. You know, don't they all? Uh, but uh, the world is changing, and we don't need to miss the opportunity, and I don't want to miss it. Uh, you know, I've been home now for a week and a half. I'm already missing home. I'm ready. You know, I've not even hit the road hard yet, and I'm already – I want to get back in my field. I, I, I just uh, – I got to get there. But God knows what he's doing. But um, 
did I miss anything? Uh, so going back to the the conferences, is yes. uh, if people were interested to go, is it just a few pastors you mentioned going uh, over there no, to help out? Or no, could, no, could Danny it's, and I go yes, if we sir. had the money. Yes, sir. It's open to anybody. Um, now, if you're in a church, of course, it's always ethical to have pastors' permission. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we always leave that up to the pastors. Uh, but it's it's not just for it's for mission minded. We, we strictly push for foreign missions um, and trying to get people behind that wall, come in and get out behind behind that and break over. Um, you know, I'm excited about the foreign mission works that's going on in South America and all across the world and the Philippines and, and Marshall Islands. We've got revival taking place, souls being won, churches being built. And uh, even in throughout Europe now, it's having some move of the Holy Ghost over Brother and Sister Shell and over in London, and, and just it's, it's moving. Uh, but there is still a big line drawn there. And so I'm, I'm really pushing to say, guys, let's don't stop. Let's don't stop at one spot. It's for the whole world. And we've got an opportunity to come in behind the fences and to come in legally and come in Wide open, you know, and let's, 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 don't, let's don't miss the opportunity. So it, it is uh, for everybody. And because I believe foreign missions fields, for people that come over to experience it, even if they're not called to be a foreign missionary and they don't, they don't feel the burden to be a missionary or anything, but they come back home changed. And, and what they get in that field is when they get back home to their, their church, makes a world of difference about the energy they they come to the understanding of, hey, I'm important, and I've got a work to do right here that I can do. Mm-hmm. It, it's about the whole body. It's about everything, and so we are for missions push. But no, we had evangelists. We had we had brother and sister Clark over there from Washington. We had uh, brother and sister Hodge from Lake Isabella. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, I'm trying to think brother and sister Sop from Germany, a pastor there in Germany. Um, we, we just had oh my, my goodness, we had. Um, Oh my goodness, Hernandez, Brother Hernandez from uh, Belize. Um, just it's just open. Had some teenagers or young people, twenty year olds coming from churches, gifts of help. They came over. Man, we just had a blast. And uh, but it's for anybody. It's for anybody that's got a burden for the kingdom of God, and it's not focused. We don't take up offerings for any person, any ministry. Um, and we take up uh, an offering to try to cover the expense uh, of the hotel, and it's very modern, and all the food, and we total catered to everybody. Uh, it was all took care of, and transportation was took care of, uh, everything. So, yeah, but it's open, um, and it's just strictly to bring brethren together on a missions field and where they can connect and have some time. Because let's face it, our pastors are busy today. Mm-hmm. There's programs running on every corner, on every side of the coast, on every everywhere, and 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 you, and it's so fast running that everybody just you know if you try to sit down, if they try to sit down with everybody that wanted to connect with them, there ain't enough time. And so what we're just trying to do is find a space in the calendar that nobody's booked on something, and they if they've got time, praise God, come on. Uh, but it's a connect. It's about hey, I want to stay connected with you. I want to understand you. I want to. I want to. I want to help carry your cross. I want to share your burden. It's not just about a missionary saying, "Give to me." You know, I think that's one of the biggest curses to our missionaries. It starts coming one sided, and 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 uh, it needs to always be, "Hey, you've been given to me for a long time. I come. I'm giving to you." 
I'm going to help my brother over there. I'm going to help this one over here. If I'm in a slow period in my state, then I'm going to help him. You know, I'm, I'm out here to tell you, brother and sister Shell, they need a church building. Theirs was condemned, and they don't have a building yet. Man, they need a building over there. They got people that that, that they can't afford to just sit without a place to have church. And uh, so I just try to be a mouthpiece for foreign missionaries and, and then be a workforce for the local church. When I come here, I'm all about the altar. Uh, you know, a lot of missionaries, they, they, they feel like they've got to keep going. And I understand about raising a budget. It's important. We need it. And money makes the world go around. And, uh, but if you've got some extra time, dedicate it into an altar. Get in there and hammer it out. That's just what keeps me going. That, that, that builds my enthusiasm up. So, but like you know, I said, that's me. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to tell anybody how to do their ministry. I'm proud to just be part of them. And, uh, but yes, sir, anybody is welcome to come. And uh, that's what it's about. Well, maybe if... Um, <laughs> If people are interested out there listening, we'll uh, write to us, email, text, whatever, and we'll try to have some information if you if you are interested and get some dates and times and what the whole agenda is. That'd be great. Yes, sir. We'll get it to you. Well, how about a couple last maybe questions? Okay. Um, any advice for uh, anybody out there that's you know we talked about you know getting in the foreign mission field, but uh, any advice for any young buddy that's thinking about it, feel that calling, just just go for it. Or what What do you, well, <laughs> how do I, they prepare? What do, what do they do? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> excuse me. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's so um, open out there. There's such a need, but I, I will, I will tell people don't, don't try to force something. Be prayerful, stay engaged with your pastor, follow his instructions. Um, and uh, especially if you're caught in the land of indecisions, don't make no sudden moves because, you know, it is a changing world out there. And um, there are, unfortunately, there are places out there that are very violent. And uh, But, you know, the kingdom of God has such a mass um, uh, field. It's so huge. Uh, so anybody that's feeling the need for missions, I would say, you know what, um, if you want to understand if you've got a calling to be a missionary, I think you're going to have to have the calling of the home mission first. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't work in your home church and you're not excited about the field you're in right there, uh, you're not called for foreign missions. Uh, I'll, I'll just flat say it. If you ain't got the work at home, you ain't got the work in the foreign field. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would tell people, if it's not of God, and that's why I always say young people and people in churches that want to come somewhere, they need to have their pastor's blessing. They they, they really do. Uh, and uh, because if you're not, if you're not called, you're going to get a load put on you that you're not prepared to carry. And, you know, I, I think even like our local Sunday school, I mean, if, if, <laughs> Like you, if you're not helping out there or something like that, how can you say, I want to go help in China or wherever if you haven't done a thing? You know, even. we get caught up in the zeal and the excitement of the going, okay? And, uh, you know, oh, it's exciting, man. We're doing – you see the reports and you, and, you, and the missionaries, they're all talking about all the great stuff and, oh, in everybody's eyes. But the bottom line is, yeah, it's all happening, and things are happening great. Uh, but um, – with, with, with people don't understand that the reason a lot of times uh, they don't get really promoted into going and doing is because of what they're, they're not showing the fruit of where they're at. You got to love, you got to love every part of the kingdom of God. And when you're in a local church, that love should be shining forth. And like you said, if they're, they're, they're not doing nothing there. They won't participate in the bus ministry. They won't participate on the cleanup days. They won't participate on the 
Uh, it's always it, it, it's a one-way side. Got to come toward me, get what I want, and then I'll do what I want. It don't work that way, huh? <laughs> you know, uh, I've I've actually questioned my calling a few times when going through the last eight years and really like, oh God, really did I miss something here? Because that's like, wow, <laughs> you know, I don't know what I'm gonna do with that, and, uh, and I'd have to really pray through over it, and it's like, you know, and it, and it all come back down to it, and uh, coming down to that that burden that's in that heart says, no, this is what I was put here for. This is it. And uh, But one thing I'll say, I had the blessing of my pastors and the blessing of the elders behind me. It wasn't just jumping there because I wasn't wanting to do something at home. I was working that hard at home. I was mowing the yard, the church. I'd clean the toilets. We'd, we'd work and lay the brick, whatever, do the outreach. I mean, it, it, it was just you, you got to love the field, and the field is a mass. It goes around the whole world. you got to love the field. It doesn't matter where you're at. If you don't love that field, you know, and then when you fall in love with that, then God will purge you deeper. He'll well, purge I, you deeper. I, not, obviously, I'm not a missionary, but I, I think you'd have to do that at your local place because yeah. there probably aren't going to be people banging on your door week one of Russia saying, hey, can I pour that concrete for you? you <laughs> no, you sir. you do that stuff yourself probably. Uh, yes, sir. We, we, uh, I'll tell you, I tell people... If it's a calling and missions, and I, I tell them, you know, this is Brother Trailer. This is what happened to us. Uh, when we took the calling in, into Russia, we sold everything we owned. We don't own anything back in the States. And when we went, we didn't have uh, church support. All we had was our local church and, and a pastor that said, if it's a calling God, God's going to see you through. And we sold everything we had, every vehicle, every, every stick of property we had, we sold it. And what we couldn't sell, we gave away so it wouldn't be a hindrance. Um, and we moved over there, and we used 100% of what we had to buy our first property, also to obtain all of the paperwork, all the doctor's physicals for three years. We had to go through document after document just to get to be legal for me. And airline tickets back and forth because... You couldn't stay but three months at a time, and you had to leave. And so that eat up our expenses very quickly. And then when you was there, you had to rent an apartment. You had to pay your rent. You had to do all these things. And so by the time three years passed, most of our uh, expenses uh, of what we earned from our selling everything was gone. We had very little left. And But during that time, we started picking up some support from churches getting involved and it started moving and we started getting that to come in a little bit to kind of relieve it. But what we decided and we made up our mind with God, if this is a calling and you're bringing us to this, we're cutting off the exit routes. We're going to turn all these exit routes off. Some people go into something with conditions with God. If, if I get there, God, and this happens, then as soon as you're done, I'm out. And they give, well, if this, then I'm out. And they, they set those conditions there. To do a ministry, you got to cut off the exit. You can't back up. Hmm. You back up or look backwards, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. What that word means is the ministry. You, you can't have preconditions. If it goes this way, I'm not going. Or if, oh, boy, if it falls under and they start shooting in the streets, I'm leaving. I'm going to protect my family. God would want me to protect my children. No, 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 no. God protects your children wherever you're at take care of you. And when you cut off that exit route, you ain't got nowhere else to go. It makes it a lot easier when you're facing something in front of you. When you got reality, I can't take my eyes off of that. I'm going through it with the help of Jesus. And God brought me here, and if he brought me here, he'll see me through it. And so don't give conditions. If you can't enter into a field without conditions, you ain't called. 
you ain't called. You may be talented, but you're going to meet the one that's going to make you run out the door you left. And uh, so I would tell them, pray, because if it's a calling, when you get in that field, trust me, it ain't all roses. I just don't tell stories, and I don't I don't tell hard luck stories. Um, and uh, I, but it ain't all roses. You're going to earn your field. You're going to purchase that field, and it's called a cross. And you're going to have to carry that cross. And uh, there's not always going to be a Peter or a Simon to come out of the crowd and carry it for you. Because like you said, you get over there, you know when you're by yourself. You ain't always going to have pastor come over and fix it for you. Yeah. You're going to have to learn to fix it for yourself. And uh, and uh, it's been many times I wished our pastor could have got over and just laid his hands all over me, helped pick me up and straighten me out. But unfortunately, uh, it's just you and Jesus. And so you need to know. You, you need to be faithful in your local assembly. You need to be doing the work here, wherever you're at for God. If you don't have that in you, you're not called. You're not called. If you're not willing to earn it, it's not going to value it. you got to earn it. Yeah. It's true. Well, why don't we uh, go ahead and maybe wrap this up with, okay. how about a, a, a great testimony story? Something. Tell us something exciting that's happened over the last few years that you've been over there. I think I remember, well, I don't want to put words no. in your mouth. Your wife, wasn't there some neat story about a subway bus, a family or something? Um, well, I'll tell you the neatest thing that happened with us. Uh, yeah, there was several things like that, uh, that that happened. God's done so much, it's like trying to figure out which one you'll tell. But I will tell this one because uh, it was really neat. Um, we uh, were needing to purchase some property, but when we were there, uh, our house back in the States was on the market. The economy was crashing. Uh, you know, we, we had a house that valued at $400,000. Uh, it was paid for. Uh, uh, we, we were completely out of debt. Uh, we're still out of debt, praise God. Uh, and um, so uh, it was not selling. And actually, the value was dropping, and it was dropping, and it was dropping, and dropping. And, and we really struggled for two years because that house sat on the market. And I had one person look at it in two years. And we were we were crammed in apartments. Budget was low. Uh, I mean, time we paid our rent, we had like $300 for to last us a month for groceries. And we had all of our children over there in a small apartment and trying to get by. I mean, there's store after store of God's grace and mercies. But you purchase, you filled. I'll say that again. But uh, one day I was feeling, uh, I wasn't feeling, my wife was. She she woke up feeling real spiritual. Uh, I was still fighting the devil and wasn't too happy. And she jumps up just in the middle of nowhere. She said, I'm going to look for some property. She said, I'm going to go find some property. She said, God's told me to go and look. And, you know, I just look at her with that real spiritual sense I had called carnality. And I'm like, well, that's good for you and Jesus. Call me and tell me what you find. But I want to remind you something. We ain't got no money. How you going to buy it, you know? Uh, and she's like, I don't care. She And I remember she said, you can just sit here and feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> I said, well, I think I will. Thank you. And so she leaves, and, you know, everybody thinks you got angel wings when you're missionaries, but I never had wings. I'd get some horns, I think, every now and then. <laughs> but she leaves out, and she goes looks at this piece of property out there, and, and uh, man, she calls me. She said, oh, she said, it's perfect. She said, when I stepped out of that taxi, she said, God said, I'm going to give you this land right here. This is it. And I said, well, that's great. Tell God to give you some money. <laughs> and I mean, I was being, I was hurting. I mean, I, I was so fed up with that house, wasn't selling, and we were so needing to get out of that apartment. 
And uh, so, you know, everybody gets a pity party. And uh, so she comes home and she says, oh, baby, it's 80-something thousand dollars. I'm like, well, that's nice. She said, they're going to hold it for three days. I'm like, oh, that's nice. And she's all happy. And I said, honey, uh, we got less than $500 in our account. Now, I believe in miracles, but, and you know, and you know how the story goes. Well, phone rings two days later and the lady sold the property. And so now my wife's got her lip hung out. And I'm like, now nah, I'm being spiritual. No, baby, it's all right. It's okay. I, you know, I understand you get all excited, but I was trying to tell you and everything. You got to use wisdom, you know, you got to think about it. Well, that lasted about two days. She woke up spiritual again. Two days later, she said, I'm going to look some more. I'm like, okay, whatever. Take off. <laughs> well, while she was gone, I was in prayer. I was prayed through, and I, I was really petitioning God. I was like, God, my wife, is, she's, she's got to, you know, she's a wonderful woman. I understand you can quit listening to me, and it wouldn't be, I wouldn't blame you. But her, you know, what has she done besides marry me? And uh, so, uh, but I got to pray, and, and I felt the Holy Ghost inspired me. And uh, he said, uh, I want you to call your realtor. I want you to list that house. And he gave me a price at $69,500. I had $150,000 in just the land and the house, the material, and I built it. And I'm like, What? I fought that. I was like, that ain't Jesus. That's 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 like hysteria right there. And he just kept tightening it up on me. And I so finally I said, okay, okay. So I called my realtor up and I told her, I said, Miss Georgia, I said, look, I said, you got one week. I'm putting this house on, I'm dropping the price down one week. It's it. 69500 She said, are you crazy? I said, that's exactly what I think. <laughs> And uh, I said, but I believe God told me to do it. She said, are you crazy? I said, yeah, well, you know, strike two. Yeah, I agree with you twice. But So she said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. I said, 69.5, but, you know, five days, six days max. That's all I'm putting on the market. And uh, I said, we got to have some money. And uh, so she called me back. She said, okay. She said, I'm, I'm, I'll call you back. So she, she calls me back, and about an hour later, and uh, I remind you, my wife's out shopping for property across the city, and I'm not with her. <laughs> and, um, and she said, look, she said, I got a buyer. She said, are you serious? I said, I'm dead serious. Cash money got to be closed three days. She said, I'll email you the paperwork. Sign it. Get it back to me. So I signed it. She sent it back through. Technology so neat. And uh, she said, all right. She said, but the closing is going to take about a week. I said, well, if they've paid the deposit, and she said, they've done paid the deposit, it's in the bank. She said, matter of fact, the whole amount of money is in the bank. She said, we just got to go through the paperwork. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm thinking, all right. I'm like, wow, boy, that was – and then I'm sitting there thinking, man, that was stupid. That was really <laughs> dumb. I just gave away that prime piece of property up on that mountain. I'm like, you know, 3,000 square feet home, everything in it. You'll purchase you feel. God will test you. And uh, you just got to listen. But all of a sudden, I'm sitting there in this land of indecision now thinking I'm nuts. And my wife, she comes in the door just, and another sister that was there visiting, 
So they come to the door, and she's all happy, and they're all just juking for Jesus and getting with it and singing and a shouting going on. I'm like, what in the world are you doing? She said, you ain't going to believe it. She said, I went back out to that place, and she said, the very piece of property next to it, the owner came down where I was standing that owned that property and told me that he just uh, listed it today to be sold. And I told her, and he said, she said, well, I'm interested in buying. He said, well, I'm interested in selling it to you. And it was a bigger piece of property than what she was looking at right next door. And so she uh, went up and was making all these deals going on, and she had talked with him. I'm on, she don't know I'm on the phone. I don't know what she's doing. And um, and she said she got to talk to him, and he was telling her, man, I just feel I need to sell this to you. I just feel you you need this property. And he was going on with her. And so finally she had enough. She said, look, bottom line is I need to know how much is the bottom dollar you're going to take for it and how long can I have to get it? Because in Russia, you can't buy on credit, and they are not going to hold it for you. It's first come, first serve. And so she, he's like, well, I figured you'd get to that question. So he goes over. She said he's sitting there writing down this piece of paper, and he's looking through his paper, and he's writing it all down. And he just shoves the paper across, and his name's Sergey. He's a real good neighbor now. But he shoves paper across this great big Russian table he's got, and it'd like take six miles to get there. And he shoves <laughs> it across to her. They love big stuff. And uh, so she gets that piece of paper, and uh, and she's looking at it. And she said, Are you for real? That In this area? That's cheap. She said, I'll have to go home and ask my husband. He said, go ahead. I'll, I'll hold it for a week. Call me up. Let me know what you decide. So I told her, I said, well, uh, just out of curiosity, how much did he say? She unfolds the paper. She slides it across the table to me, which was a very small table. It didn't take like half a piece of paper, and it was across. And it was for $69,500, wow. the exact amount. Oh, wow. And I said, well, let me tell you what you don't know. Look what I signed a contract on and sold the house for, 69000 $500. And so things like that, wow, things cool. like that. And goes on down to it that our, our house, I had the last time I marked it was $140,000, a center family uh, worked its way into it in a center to get the deal done, put the 69500 in a bank for us to get the deal done, the paperwork done. And so the property couldn't be sold out from under us. And we were waiting for our money to be transferred with the agreement that we'd give the money, they'd take the money back, and it'd just go from their account to our account. And they agreed to it. It took about a week, and their money was drawn out, and the property was bought. Our money was held up, didn't get there because of transaction stuff. But once it did come in, we uh, called them up and said, look, we're, we're ready. Hey, your money's here. Here it is. Man, we appreciate it. Appreciate y'all trusting us to help us out like that. So, you know, it's amazing to get a Russian to <laughs> to give you a dollar, much less 69500 and And so they're like, they're like, I'd like to encourage somebody. If the church shuts its finances off, God also owns the field of the Gentiles. He owns all the hills and all the cattle. He owns all of it. So if it's not coming through the place you think it is, Got to reach and bring it through the place you never thought. Mm -hmm. And when we went to telling them, they said, look, said, look, before we 
get into this. I said, we'd just like to tell you, we all met and talked as a family, as a mother and husband and wife and a son, older son. And um, they said, uh, what are you going to build your house with now that you've done, used all your money? I said, well, my wife, she said, well, you know, we just believe God will provide when it's time. Hmm. And they're, they're atheists, and they're like, well, we, we understand that. You know, we understand that. But let's get real. I understand all that, but let's get real. What are you going to build? What do you got? Show me what you got. She said, well, it doesn't work that way. We don't have nothing right now. <laughs> and they said, well, that's what we thought you was going to say. And they said, look, we've known y'all, and we, and we do believe that y'all need to be here. And uh, this is what we decided. You just keep the 69500 and start building your house. Oh, wow. In less than three days, God doubled the money. Wow. And we're still very close to that family. And they ain't never one time brought it up. They ain't not one time said they regretted it. They ain't one time said they ever missed it. And and now they're they're calling my wife up and problems happen in their health. Would you pray for us? Uh, we know that uh, you know they started out you didn't have a God, but now will you pray for us? Uh, will well what does what does the Bible say about this? And and now they're starting to turn a leaf, you know. So I'd like to encourage somebody, if you, if you think God's just always wanting the church to supply the need, hey, don't get your feelings hurt. Just keep praying. Keep going. God's got a reason, and he knows where to reach into his field when he wants to. So that's probably one of the top things, something like that, is just when you get down and out, and you're like, God, oh, yeah, right, you do care. It was you. Yeah, never mind. Scratch that idea. You'll take care of my problem. It's not a problem. So, so, but yeah, we love it. We love the field, love the people, love the church. We love everybody. And uh, so I appreciate you. Uh, let me come in and uh, have fun with you guys. Well, what a, awesome. what a great story. That's awesome. Hopefully, uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing you preach here one of these days. Um, you got to tell that story. That's, I'm, yes, sir. I'm sure all sir. seven of our listeners will spread the word. But, uh, <laughs> Matter of fact, just telling you right now on my uh, my phone, a new family that our young people uh, witnessed to their house sitting our house while we're gone. And it's like I'm receiving text after text, like, guys, we miss you guys. When you Hope y'all are having fun, but we really miss y'all. The, the, the house just ain't the house without y'all in it. They're, they're sending me texts right now on the phone just constantly every day. It's like, hey, we don't, 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 don't get stuck, you know, come on back, you know. So it's great to feel that. And when you get to questioning, God always gives you those little things to let you know, you know, hey, you're, you're, awesome. just keep, keep, keep up the work, keep up the path, keep up the faith. Uh, it's all going to work out in the end. Uh, have fun with it. We should have fun living for Jesus, wow, no matter is, what the world does. Yeah. This Amen. is exciting. We'll be praying about the conference, and hopefully we'll get, uh, get get that house packed out there for you. Help you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, God bless you, Brother Trey. We thank you again for taking your time. We know you're busy. Yes. Danny, you want to go ahead and take us home? All right. For, uh, for those of you who want to contact us, uh, you can email us at podcast at inlandlighthouse.com. Once again, that's podcast at inlandlighthouse.com. And we'll see you guys on the next podcast.